Welcome back to the show. Well, our next guest knows a few things about housing. In 2010, David Lay wrote Millionaire Migrants, uh, which looked at foreign investment in Vancouver's real estate market. Well, he has a new book out called Housing Booms in Gateway Cities. The book looks at how Vancouver and other global cities handled the influx of foreign cash over the past decade and the lessons to be learned from their experience. David Lay is a professor emeritus of geography at UBC. Professor Lay, thank you for joining us today. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, your book, um, Housing Booms in Gateway Cities, um, is very important, not only looking at the past and how we got here, but it's also part of the broader discourse, especially now uh, as we have the housing conversation, housing announcement, housing legislation that has uh, been introduced now in our legislature and the conversation around housing uh, continues as well. I guess my first question to you is what motivated you to write this book now? Oh, that's a a good question. Um, Well, I have lived in this city for 50 years. I'm an urban geographer, so I've been watching it carefully. Uh, I've been writing about it. um, And it it seemed as if I wanted to get a broader perspective on the Vancouver story. Uh, So I decided to look at four other cities and their experience with housing booms and the consequences of the housing booms, and most importantly, what the policy responses have been to those housing booms. So I I chose uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Sydney, Australia, uh, and London, England, Mm -hmm. as the four other cities uh, that I would look at, all of which have had uh, housing boom issues to deal with. And the timing, well, uh, I actually started this project almost 10 years ago, uh, and uh, I think it was the time in my career that I felt I really needed to get some uh, more perspective on the local scene. Well, let's start from the uh, from the beginning here. Uh, this didn't happen overnight, of course. Uh, there's provincial policy, there's federal policy as well. When... When did we begin going in the wrong direction? What was the original sin in your mind? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a nice theological term, and maybe not entirely inappropriate in some cases. Um, Well, uh, I think there there has been a housing or at least a rental issue uh, in Vancouver. I came to Vancouver in 1972, and uh, already, uh, certainly in some desirable neighborhoods, the, the rents were very tight. But what is interesting is that as a starting assistant professor at UBC, uh, who was not a, no- a good negotiator for salary, so I suspect I was on the low end of the totem pole of the UBC pay spectrum, I could almost, almost, or my wife and I could almost buy a house in Dunbar in 1972. Hmm. Uh, We unfortunately did not have parental help, but if we'd had some parental help, we could have pulled it off. Now, uh, that, of course, is a long, long way from where we are today. Uh, So although there was a rental crisis in 72, I don't really think there was an equivalent ownership crisis Things really changed after Expo. I mean, I think Expo in 1986, it was intended to bring investment 
to what was uh, a severely ravaged economy in BC at that time. Uh, unemployment was in double digits through much of the 1980s here. So there was a, a real desire to bring in investment. And of course, the big global growth area was uh, Asia Pacific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that was the beginning of the story. Uh, uh, 1988, then the Expo lands were sold to uh, very large Hong Kong developers, and that began a flow of capital into this region, uh, which through the 90s uh, certainly changed the cost structure. It was the early 90s, in fact, that Vancouver's house prices went ahead of Toronto's. Toronto had been the, the, the number one uh, unaffordable city up to that point, but uh, Toronto has not caught up with us again since then. Hmm. Now, what, in regards to, we've talked about attracting people uh, during Expo, post-Expo, and our econ- and certainly our, you know, our economy being uh, our, in, in the midst of difficulty. But what policies after that, provincially and federally, uh, further drove this um, this desire for uh, East Asian and Asia Pacific do- dollars to come and invest in this country. Were there specific government programs that also drove or pushed uh, probably house prices even higher indirectly? Well, of course, um, uh, the business immigration program, which was quite a small program in the grand scheme of things, but was very geographically concentrated in its effects in Vancouver and Toronto, uh, brought and was intended to bring uh, wealthy wealthy business people and professional people who had already shown that they were successful entrepreneurs elsewhere. And uh, the government decided they wanted to lure them here and uh, let them loose in terms of uh, economic development uh, and, of course, bringing their capital with them. So that was a very important uh, initiative in uh, consolidating the link between uh, the Vancouver housing market and East Asia because uh, the lion's share of uh, business immigrants came from East Asia, at first from Hong Kong and Taiwan, and then later uh, in this century, uh, overwhelmingly from uh, from China, until the program was shut down. Hmm. Uh, so that was one. Uh, another one was uh, the uh, decision that was made in 1994 to end the social housing programs. Uh, so that uh, no new social housing or virtually no social housing was built after that date until quite recently. Uh, so we went 25 years with the, uh, the absence of uh, affordable housing, uh, social housing, uh, being built uh, under a public uh, government mandate. I think those two events uh, were significant in quite different ways, but leading to the same outcome. 
Welcome back to the Jazz Joe Hall Show. If you're just joining us, we are speaking to David Lay. He's the author of Housing Booms in Gateway Cities. We're talking about, of course, the housing sector here uh, in British Columbia. But how other um, major uh, centers uh, from Singapore, Hong Kong, Sydney, and London, how do they deal with um, the very same types of dollars coming in to their market as well. Uh, Professor, let's touch on that a little bit. Uh, your book obviously focuses on other cities and how they responded to these uh, foreign dollars that were coming into the housing market. Uh, how did some of these cities, these global cities like Singapore and Hong Kong and Sydney and London, respond to foreign investment? Well, that's that really was exactly what I wanted to get at in this study. Uh, and what I found is that the response was quite different. But in four of the five cases, the response was unsuccessful. So that the problems that we face here are being faced also uh, in Hong Kong, uh, in Sydney, and in London. And here's the interesting one, but not in Singapore. Uh, So what did Singapore do that was different? Well, Singapore in many ways is a quite unique city-state. From the beginning, a decision was made that every Singaporean would be a homeowning stakeholder in the country. So after independence, uh, government controlled all of the land, so so that the land is all publicly owned, and developed a housing program where they were the major supplier. A government agency was the major supplier of housing that was leased to Singaporeans for 99 years. And uh, 80% of Singaporeans today live in that government-supplied housing, which they own, but they own leasehold. So it will return to a public trust, or could do after 99 years. The other side of the picture, though, uh, that is not something we can easily replicate here, though there certainly are federal lands that we could make much better use of um, for affordable housing, and maybe that's a point we could come back to later. But the other side here is the effect or blocking the impact of investors to carry uh, prices sky high, which has happened in the other cities. And what Singapore has done is introduced uh, very challenging taxes on investors, uh, both foreign investors and also domestic investors, Singaporean investors. Now, this is really quite interesting Mm -hmm. because, of course, here in B.C., we've had a 15 and then 20 percent tax on foreign buyers uh, for some years now. Well, in Singapore, uh, this spring, they increased that foreign buyers tax to 60 percent, six zero. Oh, wow. And not not only that, but if you're a Singaporean. Again, as of this spring, this is a tax that has been constantly rising over the years. Uh, This spring, uh, for purchase of a second property by a Singaporean, a 25% tax was introduced. Uh, If it was a third property, it was a 30% tax. So in other words, they are taxing very hard uh, the investment dollar and... Uh, 
they have been able, with both this demand management and also the supply of public units, to keep housing affordable. But they really work at it. Uh, I mean, we here introduced a tax as a one-time tax, and it had a short-term effect, uh, but then these taxes just get built into the cost of doing business. Uh, what Singapore has shown is the need to keep on top of this constantly. And they have, they have uh, experienced much more pressures than BC has in an ongoing way in terms of uh, foreign capital, including, of course, capital from uh, North America in that big quantitative easing program following the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, the former comment you made in regards to Singapore, the government itself being involved in housing would, as you say, be very difficult to replicate here uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but the latter, with the taxation issue, one would argue you could continue to move up, and I would think, broadly speaking, would generally be, be acceptable uh, to the public, although there be, I'm sure there'll be some pushback from local investors, but it seems to, as you say, it has worked in Singapore. Yes. Now, the, the, the one other point I missed there is for first-time homebuyers, there is no tax at all. So uh, there would be no, the equivalent of our transfer tax would be, would be zero there. Um, but uh, I, I do think that this is a policy that is worth looking at seriously. Of course, you couldn't, grand, uh, you couldn't grandfather it. You couldn't go back and say to people who have bought investment properties in the past. But I think going forward, this is something that really could be looked at. And the tax already exists, but at a very, very low level and incrementally uh, as need arises, which is how it's done in Singapore, uh, it could be adjusted upwards. My guest is David Lay. We were talking about his new book, Housing Booms in Gateway Cities. Uh, Professor, I'm, I'm curious, um, China itself, and domestically, and Xi Jinping uh, has been clamping down on dollars leaving China as well, um, on top of other policies that some have said that, that uh, are quite draconian in China. Do you think those domestic internal uh, policies, particularly uh, trying to prevent dollars from leaving China, could also help uh, the Vancouver market and many other gateway cities? Yes, very much so. Um, the, the boom that occurred here from around uh, approximately 2013 to 2017, when prices just went through the roof year after year, that was a period of liberalism, liberalization of uh, exporting capital from China. Uh, and uh, that came to an end, uh, and uh, the shutters went up again uh, around 2000, late 2017, 2018. And that was one of the reasons, of course, that uh, the boom came to an end here, because a, a similar boom occurred in Sydney, uh, and again, uh, from uh, largely, not entirely, of course, but largely, uh, from the export of Chinese capital. And indeed, in, in the Sydney case, a lot of Chinese developers that moved into uh, the Sydney market and sold uh, Sydney uh, condos that they were building, sold them 
back home to investors uh, in in China. So yes, the the domestic policy uh, in China is very significant, and I don't hear as much these days about the role of foreign capital uh, in our land market. I I think that was the real high point, uh, and since then, and with the taxation that exists here, there's been a cooling effect uh, on foreign investors. They are. Uh, certainly not as present as they were in the 2010s period. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking to Professor David Lay. Uh, He has uh, uh, produced an amazing book called uh, Housing Booms in Gateway Cities, uh, looking at uh, what other cities have done uh, in regards to foreign capital, foreign investment coming into the housing market, uh, cities like Singapore, Hong Kong, Sydney, and London. And certainly during our conversation, it looks like uh, Singapore has been um, the probably most effective in regards to dealing with some of these uh, these challenges. Um, Professor Lay, let's look to the future now. We still have significant challenges uh, in regards to affordability and housing. Um, but one would argue, based on the discourse, the federal government has woken up to it. The provincial government has woken up to it. Municipal governments have woken up to it. Do you see us getting back to a time remotely close to when you were a young professor, as you explained earlier in the interview, and you were almost able uh, to buy a property uh, on the west side of Vancouver uh, when you weren't making the, the you know a lot of dollars as a young professor, do you think we can get back to a city that is uh, provides some semblance of affordability? What a sweet dream. <laughs> um, but no, I'm afraid not. I'm 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 afraid that uh, that horse has bolted. Um, I'm pretty pessimistic about what is achievable. I think some mitigation is possible, but uh, the the hole we have dug or allowed to be dug here is so deep. I I cannot contemplate policies that are going to be able to fill that hole to a degree that will get us back uh, to the 1970s or even the 1990s. The, the land value surface in this city needs, you know, I, I cannot see how you can let the air out of that without a major, major crisis. And uh, we've had recessions, we've had COVID, but still, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't dented uh, the, the land values in this city other than mildly for a short period. Um, so uh, certainly mitigation is possible, uh, improvements are possible, but I, th- I think the past, as someone said, is a foreign country. Mm. Um, I am an immigrant to this country. We are a country of immigrants. Uh, but with our immigration rates today, and I know we have an aging society, but I also sense a lot of frustration among people who probably are very supportive of immigration as Canadians, but they're concerned about so many people coming in so quickly and, and further exacerbating our housing uh, challenges. Um, do you see any way around that at this moment? We do need immigrants in this country, but the numbers that are coming in when, it, when you take in international students plus uh, the target of 500,000 immigrants by 2025, that seems to be exacerbating the challenge as well. Well, I, th- I think that is uh, uh, not at all a controversial statement. 
Mm-hmm. We we know that uh, of that 500,000, some tens of thousands will come to Vancouver. Uh, and it's one thing to to have a federal policy, though I have never really seen justification for this rapid increase of numbers to the highest rate of growth in a, of any G7 country. I don't know why we are so different from mm-hmm. other G7 countries here. Anyway, um, if you're going to have a federal uh, policy that is uncontroversially going to greatly increase demand for a very scarce resource, then you have to do something pretty substantial to uh, try to make that uh, a workable policy. So I, it, it, there ought to be a very substantial uh, grant mechanism to bring funds to those urban centers uh, and it's relatively few urban centers that will take two thirds or seventy percent of this of this migration. Mm-hmm. There need to be uh, significant uh, settlement services and housing grants so that these uh, immigrants can be properly uh, housed. Uh, and at this point, uh, I, I'm just totally confused by federal policy because the national housing strategy tells us that there is a great concern in Ottawa about housing issues, but the immigration policy is simply worsening the problem uh, through uh, in introducing very large numbers uh, of immigrants uh, that we cannot properly house. Uh, my final question to you, and I want to go back to your comments you were made about Singapore. Uh, in regards to moving forward and trying to do the best we can in regards to, once again, build housing, uh, either to own or rent, for locals, at its core, my sense is effectively and aggressively using tax policy may be our single biggest and best way to hopefully return housing back to local people. Well, I'm yes, I, I would reiterate what I said earlier, that I think this is a, a, a success story elsewhere. Uh, and we're always talking about, you know, what is the best uh, strategy that we can find uh, for addressing a problem. This is a strategy that has worked and so is worth uh, looking at closely. Uh, but related to it, if I can come back to a point I made earlier, mm-hmm. is the use of uh, government land for affordable housing. Now, sadly, uh, both the provincial, that is the, the past provincial government uh, prior to 2017, and the current federal government are intent on selling public land rather than using it uh, to build public housing. And, or, or social housing, affordable housing. I, I think this is a great opportunity that's being missed. I noticed a few uh, days ago that the government is saying that they will have 30,000 or so units built on public land, uh, I don't know, by the end of this decade. Uh, but we need 5.5 million new units, is what CMHC tells us. And there is federal land that could be used and is not being used. And 
again, this is a situation where if there's an interest in addressing the housing question, then we ought to see that uh, reflected in other aspects uh, of, of public policy. Professor Lay, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. My very great pleasure. Thank you for your questions.